everyone and welcome to the year was the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question hey who invited you like seriously why are you here i'm your host michael montalbo and for the next few minutes we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique on this episode we examine the events that occurred july 1st how many people here know about john holmes for those who don't holmes was a porn star in the 70s and he reportedly had a 13 and a half inch male appendage he was also the partial inspiration for the paul thomas anderson film boogie nights and mark Wahlberg's character of dirk diggler but did you know he was also involved in a murder they even made a movie about it called Wonderland, where John Holmes is played by Val Kilmer. The year was 1981, and on the afternoon of this day, July 1st, police would find the dead bodies of four people and a fifth who had been left to die in Los Angeles, California. Fair warning, if you check out any of my sources, they pretty much all have crime scene photos that you may not want to look at. On the afternoon of July 1st, 1981, police responded to reports of moans and groans that were coming from inside an apartment. The sounds were heard in an adjacent house, which a video I watched claimed was about five feet away, by a professional mover that was, I guess, moving things. Police arrived and inside found five bodies that were beaten so badly they were not immediately identifiable because of having been beaten to the point of having caved-in skulls. Despite the gruesomeness of the scene and severity of the attack, one person managed to survive having been left for dead since early that morning. One officer described the apartment as having appeared to have buckets of blood on the walls and in the house, and was leased to Joy Aubrey Miller, who lived with her boyfriend Billy DeVerrill, freelance bounty hunter David Lind, and a friend, Ronald Lawness. However, of these four, only three of them would be killed. But why were they killed? The group was known as the Wonderland Gang and were really little more than drug dealers. What they would do would be to pose as cops and then go and bust other drug dealers and confiscate the rival dealer's stash. After doing this, they would then go and sell these drugs for profit. One of these drugs, obvious for the time, was that of cocaine. And who was a big supporter of cocaine? John Holmes, the 70s porn star and man in debt to the Wonderland gang because of his drug habit. The thing about John Holmes, other than his man bits, was that he was a big deal at the time. Holmes appeared in anywhere from 575 to 2,274 adult films. The numbers were all over the place. And so he was no stranger to the wealth that success brought. At one point in the late 70s, he spent $750,000 on cocaine alone. But that kind of lifestyle just can't be maintained. And by the early 80s, he was a dwindling star. However, like most stars, he had grown accustomed to that life and continued to spend despite having fewer and fewer resources. Holmes had fallen so hard on tough times 
that he had begun breaking into cars and stealing luggage from airports so he could support his habit. And it would be during all of this that he would meet Adele Nazarala, better known as Eddie Nash. Nash was a feared drug dealer. By the mid-70s, he had made a small fortune by holding 36 liquor licenses. He owned real estate, teen dance clubs, nightclubs, and strip clubs. One of the clubs he owned, the Starwood, averaged 25 drug busts a month. And Nash himself would spend over a million a year on drugs alone. And this was in the 1970s. So, as a fan of adult films, Nash and Holmes became friends. And that's where the trouble begins. I say this because Holmes began working as a delivery boy for the Wonderland gang. There would be times he would spend days sleeping in the home leased by Miller. What really made him valuable, though, was his connection to Nash. Holmes one day told the gang that he was willing to help them hit Nash's house and informed them that on a previous visit he had left the sliding glass door unlocked. He told them tales of the drugs and jewelry and cash Nash kept on hand, and finally went so far as to draw them a map. On the morning of June 29th, Deverall, Linnaeus, and Lind, and possibly a fourth, Tracy McCourt, entered the house through the sliding door. Once inside, they identified themselves as police and handcuffed Nash's bodyguard, Gregory Diles. One of the gang's guns went off, waking Nash, and thinking that they were going to kill him, begged and prayed for his life. And also opened his safe. The Wonderland gang took heroin, cocaine, and quaaludes along with jewelry and cash totaling $1 million. Then they beat Nash and Dials and left the scene. The gang returned to the house and divided up their take, allegedly shorting Holmes. After all this happened, Nash suspected Holmes and had him brought in to be questioned, and unfortunately for Holmes, he was brought in wearing one of the rings that had been stolen from Nash's house. He was then beaten, but his life was spared when Holmes gave the names of the Wonderland gang and identified them as the thieves. So armed with this information, allegedly, Nash ordered his men, including Dials and Holmes, to go to the Wonderland department and room by room bash the skulls in of the occupants. They would first kill Barbara Richardson, who was sleeping in the downstairs living room. In the police video of the crime scene, you can see her lying on the floor and a bloody wall behind the couch. She was only there visiting. In the rear downstairs bedroom were Ronald Lannis and his wife Susan. Ron was beaten to death and was found in bed, but Susan was on the floor. After police arrived, she was rushed to the hospital. She was badly beaten and mutilated, and it was her moans that had alerted the movers and ultimately gotten the police there. It was in this room above Ron Loenis that a bloody handprint belonging to John Holmes was found. In the upstairs bedroom, Joy Audrey Miller and her boyfriend Billy Deverall would be found beaten to death. Miller on the bed and Deverall in the corner of the room. David Lind was allegedly with a hooker in a cheap motel, so was not present during the attack. When everything was over, blood had soaked into the beds, 
carpet, and walls, and the entire apartment was ransacked and left in shambles. Clothes, books, and drug paraphernalia littered the ground, and the TV and lights were all left on. I mentioned the police video a moment ago. Videotape was fairly new at the time, but when the police saw the scene, they began to video for their investigation, leaving the bodies where they were found. So, how could nobody have called the police sooner? Most thought it was another late-night party that the Wonderland gang was known for. Shockingly, it was reported that around 4 a.m., one neighbor woke to the sound of a male voice screaming, Please, don't kill me and then simply went back to sleep. When the mover heard the grunts, he went to investigate and saw the door ajar, and then left. More movers showed up and some mentioned the bodies, and it was only then that they called the police at approximately 4 p.m., 12 hours after the cries for help, and 12 hours of Susan hanging on to life. The Wonderland murders, or the four-on-the-floor murders, are often regarded as one of the most gruesome murders in Los Angeles history, regularly compared alongside the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short, and the Manson murders. So, what happened next? John Holmes would later say he was forced into accompanying the killers and forced to watch the murders, but he did not participate, despite his bloody handprint showing up at the scene. It's thought that he was angry at being shorted in the Nash robbery and that he went along with everything. Another theory is that Nash had him there so that he could learn his lesson. He would flee to Florida with his girlfriend, but refused to talk to police about that particular night. Eventually, he was charged, but was also acquitted. He refused to aid authorities in implicating Nash and refused to cooperate with any ongoing investigation. He died in 1988 at age 43 from AIDS. Gregory Diles died in 1995, and unfortunately I didn't find much on him during my many minutes of research. Eddie Nash would be sentenced to eight years in prison, but released after two. The official reason was due to poor health, but he would later admit to bribing the judge $100,000. In 1990, he was tried in state court, but allegedly bribed one member of the jury, which resulted in a hung jury. In 1991, he was again tried, but was acquitted. Then, in 2000, he was again arrested for racketeering, money laundering, and tampering of the witness. In September 2001, he agreed to a plea bargain where he admitted jury tampering and the ordering of his associates to retrieve his stolen goods from the Wonderland house but not to orchestrating the murders. He received four and a half years in prison with time served and a $250,000 fine. He died August 9th, 2014 at 85. And that's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.